Greetings and salutations, my friends. Welcome to the show that looks at films, albums and video games to ask anyone for seconds. I'm your host, Dave. How are we doing on this fine, wonderful day of days? That good, eh? Well, that's something. I guess that'd be a positive. I don't really know. Just be safe, yeah? This week, I cover a mighty behemoth of an album. No, not that behemoth, because believe me, I'd love to cover 2014's The Satanist. Oh boy, would I. Sadly, this time we travel back to 2008 and look at the Axl Rose band, uh, uh, sorry. I mean, Guns N' Roses' 10 years in the making monster event album, that is Chinese Democracy. Yes, I'm doing it. All right, shut up. Hi, I'm Lauren, writing with Alternative Nation. Just wanted to know what you thought of Chinese Democracy. <laughs> Uh, good question. Pause. I just wanted to know what you thought about Chinese democracy. So Chinese democracy, I thought it was good effort, uh, but you can never recreate the classic. Are you looking forward to hearing any new songs, or do you just really want to hear? You know what? With the the uh, talent that they have, always looking forward to hearing what they can bring. But you come here for the new, for the old stuff. Do you have any favorite songs off the album? Uh, no, I mean, you gotta be pumped for like, you know, Brownstone, Night Train, Classics. Well, where do we start? Well, I guess we should start where we always start, with the biggest, longest, and most probably strangest context dumps to date. That's a lot to say, but I'm going to attempt to keep it somewhat brief. Writing is thought to have started in 1994, shortly after the release of 1993's covers album The Spaghetti Incident. During a tumultuous period of three years, there was multiple lineup changes within the band. These changes included the loss of guitarist Slash and bassist Duff McKagan for multiple reasons and drummer Matt Sorum being fired. This meant that the only remaining members of the quote-unquote classic lineup was the big cheese himself, Mr. Axel Rose. With the band now becoming essentially the Axel Rose show, he constructed a new band around him to begin recording what would eventually become Chinese Democracy. It is thought that in early 1998, the band entered the studio for the first time. The studio in question was the same studio that Parts of Appetite for Destruction was recorded in, the band's debut album, that being Rumbo Recorders in San Fernando Valley. Let's move forward to 1999. Guns N' Roses contributed their first new song in five years to the soundtrack of the Schwarzenegger horror action hybrid film End of Days, which one day might appear in a future movie episode. Around this time, Sean Bevan, who acted as a producer during his studio sessions, decided that he'd leave the project. It was said that in the year 2000 that Rose would delay the album to learn how to record using new technology. That was becoming more prevalent at the time. Band manager Doug Goldstein stated in January 2000 that the album was 99% done and would be released that summer. Oh, how wrong was he? Roy Thomas Baker was hired by Axl Rose as a producer to help finish the album. However, Baker managed to persuade Rose to re-record the entire album. We're not done yet, alright? In March 2000, Buckethead joined the band, the mysterious guitarist that wore a white mask and a KFC bucket on his head. Google it, he is magnificent. Along with him, the label, Geffen Records, had grown tired of waiting for the album, so they hired 
Tom Zutut, who was effectively told to get the album done come hell or high water. Only after he was approved by Axl Rose's personal sidekick. When Zutut joined, Buckethead left, but Zutut managed to persuade him to come back by building a massive chicken coop for him to work in, complete with furniture, straw, chicken wire and rubber chicken parts. Seriously. I mean, given that Buckethead claims to have been raised in a chicken coop, this seems normal. Zatut really wanted that album out. The following year, 2001, Zatut had his final days with the band. Legendary director Ridley Scott had requested to use Welcome to the Jungle in his film Black Hawk Down. As it turned out, Axel had supposedly made his new band re-record the entirety of Appetite to Destruction as an induction, because of course you can. So a day was spent mixing that version of the song. Rose then requested a private showing of the film. Zatut arranged this. However, when Axel Rose realised that other people were in the showing, Zatut was fired. Yep, the man who very nearly got the album out was sacked. It's worth noting that Zatut claims that 11 or 12 tracks were ready for final mixing and the album could have been released in September 2002. So between 2001 and 2003, the band toured for the first time in seven years and further lineup changes were afoot. Not much left now, I promise. Mid-2003, Guns N' Roses re-records the album yet again for the third time. I mean, why not? It's already over budget and late, so you may as well. So 2004 comes around, and there's still no album, but we're oh so close, it is within grasping distance. Record label Geffen decides enough is enough and removes the record from its release schedule, along with funding of the album. Geffen stated that, it is Mr. Rose's obligation to fund and complete the album, not Geffen's. I mean, I think that's fair considering that according to a 2005 New York Times article, production costs for Chinese democracy had reached a staggering $13 million. Wow. After more touring, there was yet another lineup change in May 2006. By January 2007, Axl Rose recorded the final vocal tracks and in February 2007, mixing had begun. Hooray! About time! Then, nothing. It's rumoured that the album had been handed over to the record label, but both Axl Rose and the label couldn't agree on how to market the album and potential financial troubles. Not much is known, but what we do know is that the damn album was finally released in November 2008 to mixed reviews. The album currently sits at a rather middling 64 out of 100 on review aggregator website Metacritic. Uncut magazine rated Chinese Democracy 40 out of 100, stating, sound-wise, Chinese democracy is all over the place. Mojo Magazine scored it a middling 60 out of 100, saying that the album is an ambitious, brave and expansive offering. Allmusic.com is my personal favourite, with a score of 80 out of 100, saying it's a good album, no less and no more. Right, this context dump was far too long. So we just get into the reappraisal and ask anyone for seconds. Wait, I just did. 
Seriously, this album is long. Not to the same extent that Lulu, as covered in episode one, felt long, but at 70 minutes, you do need to prepare yourself. So, track one, the track that the album is named after, would begin with sounds of TV, media reports, and presumably Chinese propaganda. Then we get the guitar. You can tell it's not Slash. It's almost kind of industrial metal. By the time we kick into high gear with the band, all thoughts of worry are gone. I like to judge opening tracks of albums as an indicator of how the album, you know, of the album, how it will progress, and the vibe of the album. How is it as an opening track? Well, it's okay. You can tell it's a track that's been rehearsed a lot. There is a lot of studio polish on it. It just feels like it's missing something. But I don't really know what. It's not to say it's a bad song. I mean, it is catchy. It's going to make you tap your toes. Although it's worth bearing in mind, it's not your typical Guns N' Roses song. And you should probably abandon those at the door at the start of the album. So, the next track is Shackler's Revenge. Again, this isn't your typical Guns N' Roses track. This one really leans heavily into the industrial metal, noom metal vibe. For a song on an album that was released in 2008, it sounds remarkably dated. So the band is on fine form, Axel is doing this thing, but again, if we wanted Guns N' Roses, it's not really here. Do love the solo section in this song though. The marching and almost tribal chanting brings something a little new to the table, and for me, it's most welcome. Into better now, and this is more like it. Those first two tracks always felt like a separate entity to the album for me. It's very disjointed and almost like they were by a different band entirely for a different purpose. Better, for me, is where the album really starts for me. I'm not too keen on how fuzzy the guitars sound. They're just a little bit too muddy for my liking and they don't really have that punch that they deserve for an album like this. Axel is in his element though, belting out the lyrics with intricate multi-layered vocal tracks. Can we talk about vocals? Through the album, Axel is in fine form, which is fine, but he's got this really annoying insistence on multiple vocal layers, which is just really jarring when you're listening to a rock track. Sometimes it works, other times it just kind of bogs the album down in an unneeded, well, noise. It's like Axel said, I want to do this, and no one said, nah, mate, it'll be crap. It's a bit like George Lucas making those Star Wars prequel movies. Just remember, Jar Jar is the key to all of this. Anyway, Better is a strong track and properly marks the album start. And it's pretty good. Enough said. A piano intro on Street of Dreams can only mean one of two things. We're either getting a ballad in the style of November Rain, or Axel's invited Elton John for a spell. Fortunately, it's neither of those. What we do get, however, is something more akin to the classic Guns sound. We even get that trademark Axel Warble. You know the one I mean. This, honestly, is one of the stronger tracks on the album. It's the right mix of classic GNR with a modern sensibility. I really like it. The track never feels like it outstays its welcome. And honestly, it rocks. The added strings help to uplift it to a more grandiose affair while never feeling too pompous. This track is definitely worth a listen. Then we get into If The World. This is a bit of an odd one. I really like the groove and the feel it has to it, but really, it doesn't do it for me. The guitars, the electric ones anyway, are just too muddy for my liking. Again, like I said earlier, there's like there's no punch or driving force to them. It's just kind of muddy and it doesn't sound right. Although I do like the acoustic intro though, I guess. Yeah, I'm pretty much done with this one. 
There Was a Time. It's another ballady style song. Axel thrives on these as his vocals can cut above the band and soar. While this track isn't remarkable, what is remarkable is the absolutely blistering guitar we get about three minutes in. It's simple, effective, but as the chorus comes back in, we get further guitar work and a guitar solo that is simply astounding. The standout moment of the album for me. The solo work in this song. Just wow. The rest of the track is fairly forgettable though. So we're approaching the halfway point now. Have we lost steam? A little bit. Will Catcher in the Ride bring it back? Kinda? While not an out-and-out rock classic, there's definitely enough here to make you tap your foot along. What is off-putting, though, is those multi-layer axles. Stop it! We get it. Apart from that, it's not a bad little mid-tempo rock track. While nothing special, it's still worth a listen. Track 8. Scraped. We are met with gut-punched guitars and soaring vocals. Trouble is, it's too polished to make any sort of real impact. I'd call that a swing and a miss. The guitar solo's pretty good, though. Next. Riyadh and the Bedouins. Axel's vocals again take centre stage as the track starts. Not to sound funny, but at this point, I honestly wish he would just shut up. I don't need his vocals constantly, multi-layered, and in places, auto-tuned. That's right, I said it, auto-tuned. I'm not denying that Axel isn't a good singer, but there is auto-tune all over the album, and it's not a good sound. And also, he does that thing that the singer from the Kaiser Chief does, on their first album, where he doesn't know what to do, so he'll just make noises. And that gets old very, very quickly. Anyway, this is certainly heavier, and it definitely leaves an impression. Even if it is, shut up, Axel, and let me hear the band. Track 10. It's called Sorry. It's enjoyable. It's a mid-tempo ballad type. You know the type you take home to meet your parents and say, they're okay, but couldn't you do better? That's how I feel about Sorry. It's just fine. I wish it did something a little more exciting. The track just kind of drags its feet. And you know what? I think at this point in the album, that's probably okay. Track 11, called IRS. It's all right. That's it. That's the review. Madagascar is also all right. Doesn't do anything special. Axel is exceptionally raspy in this one. It's got Martin Luther King samples. Yep, I'm done with this album now. I'm feeling tired and bored. I was ready to write off This I Love as an Axl Rose self-indulgent vanity track. I mean, it's effectively him with his multi-tracked vocals and him playing the piano and there's a load of strings. So far, so blah. Until the guitar solo. And what a fantastic solo it is. It's melodic, soaring and downright pleasing. Again, it's another standout piece of playing. Bravo! Worth a look, this one. And we move on to the final track. It's called Prostitute. So after the dizzying heights of This I Love, can a crafty crescendo be reached for this album? Sort of. I mean, it's ultimately forgettable, but that doesn't mean it's bad. There is some great drumming, the guitar works pretty good, and Axel is doing his thing, and he's in his groove. It's just not inspiring. It finishes the album in a strong way, but to be honest, a lot of people won't have got this far to hear it. And with that, we are out. Although this all sounds pretty negative, I actually quite enjoy Chinese Democracy. Yes, it's not really a Guns N' Roses album, I admit. That's the thing you need to get your head around. This is the Axl Rose Band. It's effectively a solo album. If you can remember that, 
then there is some good times to be had with it. For me, the only things that really detracts are Axel's insistence on multi-tracking the vocals. I'm not denying, again, that his voice isn't great, but hearing it in multiple tones, it just starts to irritate me. The other thing I'm not too happy about is the guitar sound. It's a little bit too muddy. There's no real dynamics. It just sounds a little bit flat. So when they're playing the chords and things like that, you can't hear no, none of the high notes or the low notes. It's just all kind of crunched together. It's like it's been badly recorded, but it isn't. It's the guitar sound. And that, to me, it's just it doesn't do it for me. It might work for something like black metal or something like that. It's just it doesn't do it for me for Guns N' Roses, I'm afraid. The album also does sound a little bit rushed, which is ironic given that it was in the works for so long. And also, it's probably also due to the fact that Axl Rose had to put up his own money. So you can kind of understand why maybe he wanted to get it done. If you can overlook its imperfections, there is a good album in here. It's worth a listen just to see whether the weight was worth it, and also to see whether Dr. Pepper will give you a free Dr. Pepper. I didn't mention this in the context dump, but I believe there was actually a advertising campaign the year before Chinese Democracy came out saying, if it ever came out, you could claim a free can of Dr. Pepper. I'm still waiting for mine. Thanks so much for listening. Do you agree? Disagree? Want to swear at me for doing this album? We're on Twitter as at anyone podcast. We also have got a page on Facebook. Just search anyone for seconds podcast and you're going to find it. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review on your platform of choice so we can grow this pretend radio thing to a bigger audience. So to play us out, I'm going to leave you with a track from the album. I've not quite decided which one yet. So thanks again. Stay safe. You got this.